0: Hello, everyone. You're listening to Isbasak Podcast with Abai. And our guest today is Gaisa. Today we're launching our first English podcast series with our amazing guest. Fourth year student at New York University Abu Dhabi. Raissa Omar. Raissa is studying psychology and legal studies. She's originally from South Africa and has lived in Netherlands, Singapore, and United Arab Emirates. She is a true global citizen. <laughs> Besides theoretically learning about human nature and mentality, she's passionate about personal development and self-control. She is also one of a part of peer education group at the university called Reach, which stands for Raising Empowered Advocates for Community Health. <laughs>
1: Hello, Raisa, how are you?
2: Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Uh, how are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you. We usually have our podcast to be divided into three sections, live at school, uh, life in university, and a discussion section. Let's start with your school life, right? Uh, we know that you have graduated from the United world college of Southeast Asia, which is UWC in Singapore. Uh, mm-hmm. could you first describe your high school experience?
2: Sure. Um, so I guess before I get into it, I would just say thank you for giving me the opportunity to share about these experiences as well. Um, so I uh, yes, I attended UWC in Singapore and my high school experience was probably, I think, unparalleled. It was incredible, actually. I truly enjoyed it. Um, It was mainly focused on IB. So the IB curriculum is the International Baccalaureate. It's kind of like an educational curriculum that's designed for um, a globalized world emphasizing intercultural relationships and those sorts of things. Um, And so it was very holistic, and kind of like a liberal arts program in some sense. Um, So it had higher level subjects and standard level subjects. Higher level just means you go into the subject in more depth and um, there's more knowledge being shared um, and it's more complicated and complex. So uh, my higher level subjects were English, psychology um, and economics. Yeah,
1: that's cool. Um, Actually, it's so interesting that you're from UWC. Before coming to NYUAD, I knew nothing about UWC, but there are a lot of students from UWC. So what is unique about these schools? Because they are not only in Singapore, but also somewhere in Europe and all around the world, right?
2: Yeah, that's actually true. They're similar to NYU, actually. The UWC campuses are spread out all over the world. Um, and the UWC in Singapore is special, kind of, amongst the other UWCs because it's the only UWC. Um, that has day students and boarding students, so usually it's a boarding school. Um, In Singapore, I wasn't a boarding student, but um, it's also the only UWC that um, is for-profit, if I understand correctly, and then the funds from this UWC funds the education for the other UWCs around the world. Um, So I guess what's unique about it is it's big emphasis on sustainability and community service probably um, kind of sets it apart from other typical high school experiences. Um, and yeah, I think now that I look back on it, there were so many wonderful mentors that I had and so many unique subjects that I I don't think I would have had the opportunity to learn about had I not attended this specific UWC in Singapore. So it's I'm, I'm grateful for it. Yeah.
1: hmm That's cool. And can international students apply there uh, for four scholarships? I don't know. For instance, as a Kazakh uh, high school student, can I apply to UWC in Singapore or somewhere in Europe? And if yes, what are the requirements for for it?
2: Right. You can definitely apply. So um, I actually was talking recently to... Uh, the sibling of another student at NYUAD who wanted to apply to a UWC campus as well, um, and they were not from the country of that the UWC was based in, so it's definitely possible. I think the UWC emphasis on intercultural education actually encourages international students to apply, so um, I guess the process for that would look Um, I I think there would have to be research involved in the beginning to figure out which campus you want to go to. Um, Each campus is unique in its location, um, and it's the kind of special projects or community service, I guess, focuses that it offers. Um, So it would definitely be good to look into that. Um, And then the process would be uh, from how I remember it, at least, is that you submit a written application um, and then you get the opportunity to be interviewed. Um, I had to take a math test um, and an English test. Um, I remember doing those. And from there on, I think it, it's the process mimicked my process that I used to apply to university, if that makes sense, uh, just on a much lower scale. Um, mm-hmm. So it was definitely a, an exposure to that type of uh, interview, testing, acceptance cycle that university students usually go through. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: that's cool. You you get prepared to university life as a tenth grader,
0: right?
2: <laughs> kind of, a little bit, maybe.
0: So, um, returning back to your high school experience, uh, yeah. what what were your extracurriculars?
2: Oh, um, okay, my extracurriculars. So, there kind of all diverse experiences. Um, so on the sports and athletic side, uh, I I was never really involved in any sports teams exactly, but I did attend yoga a lot. I remember that. Um, Another aspect of extracurricular activities were community service projects. So uh, I keep mentioning this because this is probably something really big that a lot of UWC schools really urge students towards. And it was actually part of the curriculum for IB. So um, I think Narpees knows this as well, like the community and service aspect is called CAS. And so my cast project was uh, called adopt a grandparent and that was a really big part of my ib years Um, and what that was uh, it involved a group of high school students going to a hospice kind of like an old age home weekly Um, and there were different grandparents in that home uh, coping with varying degrees of dementia Um, and our kind of role was to interact with uh, these different grandparents to facilitate different activities with them to kind of be with them in that moment specifically and learn more about um, that place itself. Uh, That was something else that I did. Um, And I think there were previous community service programs that I did before there, like knit a square, I remember, which involved us knitting squares that were eventually put together for blankets to be sent back to a specific country. I don't remember which one, but I remember doing that. Um, And then there was also another one called Focus Africa that I was involved in. And that was more about raising funds for different uh, organizations that UWC Singapore was connected to in Africa, uh, in various parts of Africa. So it was called Focus Africa. So um, I remember those 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 things probably were the highlights of my extracurricular activities in high school. Yeah.
0: Okay. And how difficult was the project adopt a grandparent mentally? Mm-hmm. Given that a sixteen year old teenager you're still a child. Yeah. Was it like hard mentally?
2: Um, I think it was it was challenging. I would say. I think a lot of students might that might have been. The first time that they had been exposed to a kind of a hospice where these were grandparents coping with dementia and maybe that was the first time that someone might have actually interacted with someone experiencing that. Um, I think the program coordinators did a really good job of talking us through what was going to happen, what to expect. Um, Susan Tan was actually, she's this great person who was kind of a coordinator between both of us and I recall we would always before starting those sessions we would talk together as a group about what we were going to do, um, what to expect, and then afterwards we would debrief what happened and talk through our different experiences with who we interacted with. Um, I think as a 16-year-old, it it was. It, I think it makes you reflect about things maybe that you wouldn't usually reflect upon if you weren't put in such a situation. Um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think it was it was good for us to sort of experience that um, at, at that age. And I think we all learned a lot, it, if, if that makes sense.
1: So like, if there are some students who want to get involved in social projects where you interact with people from vulnerable population, you would, w- would you suggest to have some kind of adult co- coordinator like the one who would be a bridge between you and a very difficult world?
2: Uh, I think 100% yes. I think it's amazing actually to be encouraging students to come up with these ideas themselves, like you said, you know, to be able to allows some control on the part of the students involved in what they want to be involved in, what they're passionate about, what kind of issues they care about is super important. But I also think, like you said, it's important to recognize that a group of 16 year olds might not have all of the logistical and and actual planning and development skills involved in making something like this happen, you know, and while that good intention might be there, I think it always helps to have um, adults who are experienced in in knowing about these kinds of things, who can be kind of like a safety net for children to learn, but also, you know, if things get a bit overwhelming, to say it's okay, um, I've I've experienced this before, or I've seen this before, it, it it helps. So I think that's yeah, that's that's a great recommendation.
1: <laughs> that's cool.
0: Let's move on to your um, application experience. Could you share your application process to the university?
2: Yeah, um, I applied early decision to NYUAD. So what that means is that um, you have different, I guess, timelines for applying and early decision kind of means that you just go through the application process much earlier than other universities would be going through it. Um, I heard about NYUAD through my oldest brother, who also attended NYUAD, um, and he was in the first graduating class, so it was always kind of in the back of my mind that this university existed as, as a place, and his experience reinforced the fact that it existed as um, a wonderful space, kind of. Um, and I applied to five different, I think, universities in the U.K. at the same time with the common app system. Um, and I remember that you needed specific subject scores from Ivy and everyone was using their predicted scores from Ivy to apply to these specific places. And we all uh, were kind of doing that at the same time and at that same Moment, I was invited to NYUAD for candidate weekend, and I was able to fly down here and actually see what the university looked like and participate in these group discussions. I wasn't fully 100% convinced at that moment that this was the place for me to be, but I think at that moment it was also really important to to remind myself of this incredible opportunity that existed. Um, And I think my parents played a large role in convincing me somehow to try it out at least because and looking back I, I wouldn't have done it any other way because there was so much insight in what they were saying and I think I was just not thinking clearly enough at the time um, so it was a unique situation where I was able to attend this wonderful place and I'm, I'm so glad that I'm here right now
0: do you have any tips for students who are applying uh, for those universities?
2: Uh, yeah. I, I think having a list of schools that you you want to go to is always a great idea. I think I was always really good at having this idea in my head of what kind of student I wanted to be, what kind of institution I wanted to attend. And I was really, really good at thinking about it. But when it came to planning and doing it, that was a completely different thing. And I think it's really good to be thinking about these things, to be talking to your, your parents, to your friends about it at the same time, but also actually doing the research and you know, actually going through making those lists of universities you want to attend, because there's so many details involved about you know, what university requires which scores, uh, what kind of tests you need to take, um, are there specific language requirements, or if you attend this university, what will your curriculum look like? So I think one thing I would suggest maybe to high schoolers who are going through the same thing is really to take some time out maybe every week if you are a senior um, and just really dedicated to that planning process even if it seems boring and tedious and you just have to go through it you will only benefit in the end from knowing these details it, it can't hurt you in the end to know those things um, and personally I wish I did that earlier in my university process but of course like I said I think It was a combination of like luck and the correct timing and also my efforts as well that allowed me to get to get here yeah
1: yeah that's cool uh you you also applied to british schools right what is the difference between applying to american schools and british schools and do they use some other platform and how how would you go with applying to british schools
2: Right. So one of the biggest differences that I remember was that a lot of the schools in the US or American-based institutions really emphasize liberal arts education. So that really leaves room for students to explore what kind of subjects they might be interested in and then to commit to a specific major. Um, and at NYUED that's what we have. So we have core subjects, we have the colloquium subjects, you um, there is no requirement for you to stick to a specific major. Like you can try out different things and then um, go from there. And you apply usually with you don't always have to have the clearest pathway laid out before you of this is what I want to complete. And this is how I want to complete it. But um, in the UK system, it's pretty much the opposite. I remember a lot of my friends who were applying to the UK were uh, going to specific schools for specific majors. So you apply already knowing what major you want to do, usually, um, and you actually stick to it a lot of the time. So uh, that's, yeah, I'm <laughs> laughing, but um, it's I know it's crazy. I guess it's great for students who know that's what they want to do, because especially for students who are interested in law, actually, you could just go to the US, I mean, the UK, sorry, and start off um, as an undergraduate and get that degree. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's basically the the main difference between the UK and, and the US systems. And I think because there's such a big emphasis on specific majors, when you are applying to the UK, you will be asked to submit certain scores for relevant subjects. Like if you're doing a pre-med or a kind of STEM science things, then you would have to submit your bio grades, your chem grades, your thing, everything that's related to that program, if that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yep. Uh, so, one of our favorite rubrics, what would you wish you knew as a high schooler?
2: Right. <laughs> um, that's that's kind of a tough question, I guess, because there's so many things looking back that I would think about. Um, probably the biggest thing for me would be to to utilize the resources that I had around me at the time um in my high school as well we had similar to what we have here at NYUAD, which is the career development center um so we did have career counselors in uwc and i i really wish i used my resources more i wish i spoke to counselors there more often about the different career pathways that were available to me Um, also reaching out to alumni and to people who graduated from my high school I don't know why this was like a concept that I just didn't pursue, even though I always knew about it. But I, I think some part of me was probably scared um, as well. I, was, I think I was pretty scared about being wrong about the information that I had. And I was probably worried that I was kind of admitting that I, I didn't really know what I was doing at that time. Um, but I definitely think talking to other people is so important, you know, reaching out to people who graduated from high school and talking to them about what they did, how they thought about it, what you're thinking right now. You know, if you have older siblings, that's great. Use them, like really look at their their experiences and learn from that. Um, and I think that's, that's something I, I would have definitely done is really encourage myself to embrace. The fact that sometimes you're gonna look stupid because you don't know everything and it's okay not to know everything
0: so let's move on to the next part of our podcast and mm-hmm. it is life after school so this is your uh pen semester at new york university abu dhabi and how do you feel about stepping into real world
2: um <laughs> um that's a great question i i don't think a day goes by where i don't think about this um okay if i'm 100 percent honest i am pretty nervous i think that i, I think i'm nervous but it's a nervous with self-awareness if that makes sense like i know what's making me nervous and why i'm nervous i'm aware about the things that are worrying me and why it feels so weird um So essentially, NYUAD is, I think I've mentioned so many times how wonderful it is. And sometimes that worries me because it's almost so wonderful (laughs) that (laughs) I know that when um, I leave, there are certain things that just won't be around me anymore. And I'm really going to miss those things. Like, for example, um, Nepice is like nodding his head because he also knows. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah, just... I think we're such a close-knit community that uh, we're, so we're much smaller than other universities. So your friends are just always around you all the time. Um, I love that so much. I think it's supported me throughout my years here. Um, uh, I love the fact that NYUAD really takes its time to sort of ensure that every student can go at their own pace, uh, whether it's things they're learning about, uh, things they're going through outside of the classroom. We really are such a nice, caring community that sometimes, you know, I hear people talk about their study experiences and we're actually shocked and we're just, we're talking to each other about how, you know, things actually aren't like that outside, you know? And when, um, you know, when you are actually out there looking for a job, your passport matters and it matters where where you come from and the opportunities that are available to you. It's crazy, you know, I think it's necessary for all of us to have this experience where you come to a place where maybe things are easy in some sense, because for some people that might be the first time that they're experiencing that. And so that gives you the space to dream about the person that you want to be, to be able to ask the question, who do I want to be? And not a lot of people get, it's kind of like a luxury to be able to ask yourself that question for four years. Um, and so I think it's it's amazing, but then you kind of adapt to it. And then when you, when you don't think I would have had the opportunity to learn about had I not attended the specific UWC in Singapore. So something new to adjust to, to realize that the world doesn't actually operate that way. Um, maybe you guys have some insights about, about how you've experienced that in, in your own.
1: I, I actually totally agree with you. So, w- it seems to me that we are living in some kind of uh, bubble of heaven
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the sense that
1: most of us have access to almost anything that we want and uh, have you read a recent confession Um, on facebook where one of the alums posted uh, (laughs) one of the alums was like oh i hate nyuad because uh we got so so spoiled and we got used to heavenly conditions now that i'm an adult there is not many people who would be so friendly and you would have an opportunity to talk with great people anytime you want like i don't know what, what what's your what's your take on having everything uh for you for four years and then suddenly you will have to you will have to be an adult with a lack of resources and lack of friends probably
2: <laughs> yeah uh that's actually true from a psych point of view it's much more difficult to make friends as an adult <laughs> than it is when you're in university um mm. So I, I think what you said is is part of it, you know, it's, it's one thing to recognize that we have all of these things, but I think there also has to be some gratitude aspect attached to it as well, you know, to recognize the fact that uh, a lot of people don't uh, get to experience this opportunity and the fact that it's here. I understand that it can be painful sometimes to get back into the real world and realize that that's not how it operates. But also, what, what a great thing to be a part of for the four years that you have it. Um, to be able to build up your own resources, to be able to, like going back to the question of asking who who do I want to be, I think is is amazing, you know, that some people are able to to think about those things, to visualize who they want to be, and then actually go out there and maybe it's not so friendly and maybe it's much more tough. But at the end of the day, you also know that you had this four years here. You probably built up some incredible connections with friends who are experiencing the same thing as well. So there is some solidarity in in what everybody is experiencing. So we're all alone, but we're alone together in some sense. Um, Yeah yeah and um i think it's 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 great to go through it with the awareness that that this isn't how how it really is so how can we use it for the uh, benefit of others also i would say yeah yeah. I can
1: clearly see that you are gradually preparing yourself for adulthood. <laughs> Does it you're, sound like that?
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. You're pretty conscious about being uh, grateful for everything. Cause as a sophomore or as a freshman, you, you don't really think about all these details that we have and like the fact mm-hmm. that you have to be grateful, right?
2: Yeah, I think you're right. It's, Definitely a question that's on your mind more as you approach graduation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so uh, let's go back to your freshman year. Actually. Yeah. Uh, so how have you decided about majoring in psychology and legal studies, uh, and how and why UAD students can do double major?
2: Oh, okay, cool. Um, so uh, my major. So I first had. An interaction with psychology in IB, so I was fortunate enough to be able to take uh, an in-depth course for two years in psychology in high school and um, That really simulated this huge interest that has stayed with me since then, so I sort of came into university knowing that I wanted to pursue psychology, but I think being the person that I am, I, I also was questioning, what if this isn't the right thing for me? Um, So it's actually great that I got to attend a liberal arts institution because uh, along the way, I was able to take my first law course, my first legal studies course, and I loved it. And so that's my second major, legal studies. Um, And I guess the way that I sort of went about it was, thinking about how I could fit both of these majors into my time here. And so legal studies is a relatively new major at our university. It wasn't a major when I first got that interest, but I already knew that if it didn't become a major, I would still continue taking all of the legal studies courses that I had space for. Um, And the reason I'm able to double major is because there's a specific amount of credits that NYUAD students need to fulfill before they graduate. Um, and so psychology took up a large portion of those credits but I also had space for other subjects and it just so happened that legal studies is perfect. It fits exactly into the space that I needed um, with a few extra courses here and there. Um, and, uh, But I also think that it's worth mentioning that, uh, for example, I have friends in the US in their universities who once they're actually done with their major, they just don't continue studying because they're actually paying for their own education. So my friend recently finished her international relations degree and she's graduating a semester early, Um, not like the normal NYUAD student who would probably take four general courses and look to explore and learn more. So again, I think that's a great advantage that we have. But um, a lot of the times, if your education is funded differently, I think you'd think about the courses that you're taking differently to maybe not spend as much time as you would need to paying um, an institution for your education. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah that's actually interesting. You know, um, for the past two podcasts, we had our guests who were, I would say, slightly more determined than a lot of average students in a sense Mm -hmm. that they were like, oh, I will study engineering or chemistry when they were already in 10th grade. But in reality, a lot of us are pretty much confused about our journeys, about our majors, right? What would be your advice for average student who is pretty much confused about their future, about their specialization? How would you suggest to take classes or explore Mm -hmm. the fields that they might like or might not?
2: Mm -hmm. I think it's so important to talk about because oftentimes I think we only get to hear from people who know what they wanted to do. And everything makes so much sense when you look back. But when you're in the moment, you can be so confused. Um, And I think it's important to recognize that those people who are determined and who know what they want to do We're probably as confused as some people might feel at some point in time. Um, I guess one thing I would say is to, so you have the standard answer of, you know, uh, really throwing yourself into every experience that you have the opportunity to, but I guess what I would say is to take it one step further and probably... Uh, Reflect upon those experiences. So it's not just going through to different classes or experiencing different subjects, but it's also looking through to when did I feel most inspired when I did this work? Or uh, did I actually like that? You know, how did that make me feel? And do I feel like I see myself doing this for a long time? And I think one thing that's important to remember is that when this confusion lasts for a very long time, I think university students sometimes feel as though they don't really have a purpose or a goal that they're working towards and that can be really alienating and and like, it makes you think, why am I even trying in some sense, you know? Um, But I think it's important in those moments to remind yourself that, You know, in any major, you are learning skills that will stay with you for always. You're learning time management skills. You're learning public speaking, presentation skills. You're learning how to communicate and analyze things. And regardless of where you end up, these are skills that you are working on that will stay with you beyond your completion of any degree. Um, Actually true. They're similar to NYU, actually. The UWC campuses are spread out all over the world. Not only learning things, but you're also learning how to learn. Um, and i think that's that's useful for anything you end up doing so and i also think commitment and dedication to keep saying you know i don't know what i'm doing but yes i'm going to keep trying and i'm going to i i will find something is is something that keeps you going It it motivates you to keep trying
1: yeah it's actually very nice to talk to people like you because after talking to you you are like yeah i'm not uh in the worst uh place because mm-hmm. i i can still explore i can still reflect and uh, try out different fields but at the same time it's okay to be not uh, determined about your future right yeah. so i've noticed that it's it's so Uh, nice to talk to people like you, as I've mentioned already, because (laughs) one thing in common is that those people are usually REACH members at NYUAD. Mm -hmm. Uh, It seems to me that REACH members are somehow more mature than most of the students. Because like when I was taking FOSS, most of my uh, friends and most of my classmates were people who are very determined and extra competitive per se yeah. and i would feel a bit stressed but then after i talked with some of the reach members mm-hmm. on uh, during daily conversations i would feel so nice afterwards and i would be like oh it's so fine to be lost even if you are with some super competitive yeah. people. so could you please uh describe your experience at reach and what is reach because most of the people here are not nyuad students and they oh, yeah. probably don't know what is reach
2: <laughs> yeah for sure um well firstly i'm very happy that reach members were able to make you feel that way um i think that's powerful and reassuring for any student and i also think it's great that you also mentioned yourself that you were confused at some point because it's important to normalize the experience of confusion so i think it's good to be open about it Uh, so reach is um actually like was mentioned at the beginning it's raising empowered advocates for community health so that's really a long and complicated name but what what we do is we are um we're called a peer education group so what that means is that we're kind of students who are trained by counselors and people with relevant knowledge um to sort of help us be (laughs) i'm trying to be as diplomatic as possible um to kind of help us um convey the correct information to students. So what what happens is usually at a lot of universities, sometimes um, you have formal counselors and these formal counselors uh, might be really overloaded with work. Maybe the university has a really large population. So not every student is knowledgeable about what resources are available. So sometimes the university invests in a group like REACH and um, that basically means that you're thinking about giving students the skills to help other students. And in the long term, this is sustainable because you have students out there in the student body with this knowledge um, and they can you know, listen to their peers. They can support their peers. They know the resources that are available on campus. So they know to say, oh, you know, I heard about this thing or I heard about that, you should check that out. I, I think it's important to have peers like that in the community, because what's different from us and professionals, I guess I would say, is that we have access to these informal moments that not a lot of uh, professionals do have access to. Like we're always around peers in the classroom, um, in like at social gatherings, when we're walking down the hallway, uh, we have these conversations in the dining hall, you know, Um, and these are small moments that, Give you the opportunity to influence student culture in a not formal and scary way.
1: So what's your role as a student ambassador? What do you do on a daily basis, on a weekly basis? And can you also describe your training process that you've mentioned?
2: So yeah, uh, so I guess the last point that you made, the training process. So we're actually a student group that is supervised by the health promotion office on campus. So weekly, we have uh, an external counselor come to the development center. Um, So we did have career counselors in UWC and go from there. And you apply usually with, you don't always have to have the clearest someone else and not with the aim of replying to them, but your aim is to make that person feel understood. So you actually study specifically, you know, what are the things that you can ask someone who's going through a tough time? Um, What are the correct types of questions to be asking someone who is like really flustered and maybe emotional and needs to calm down? Um, And how can you make someone feel supported and make their opinion feel validated and normalized? So weekly reach students sort of gather in different groups and, A counselor will be present and will actually role play with one another, a student having a problem and um, the REACH member who is responding to what they're saying. And so everybody in the REACH team will observe what's happening and this goes on for about I think half an hour and you have a few students who do it and then at the end we are all taking notes and talking about what the REACH member did well and um, that trained counselor or professional will also give insight into what went well and what didn't go well. So that's super useful. That's a training that happens weekly. Um, and then on a day-to-day basis, I guess, or I guess I should say on a week-to-week basis, we have weekly meetings um, that we attend. So we have different campaigns or student projects that we're working on at different times, um, and they're usually centered around themes. So this month's theme is redefining success. Um, And that's that's very relevant for me as a senior, as we've heard. But um, so yeah, uh, one of the things we're doing is having a focus group, I think, coming up. Um, And we always have this event called Doggy D-Stress at the end of the semester, which is where (laughs) we actually get a bunch of dogs together on one place on campus, and we serve bubble tea. So students have the chance to Take a break from studying for finals to play with to play with dogs. Those are just two examples of the many different projects that various reach members are involved in. But the idea is that we have these these projects going on throughout the semester. so there's always something happening that we're thinking about. Yeah,
0: yep.
1: what's well, actually one of the essential part of reach is also nuke, right? Uh, um, could yeah. you explain nuke nuke hours? What it is is how different it is to go into some specialists and talking one on one with them.
2: Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, so the active listening skills that I mentioned, where we use that, is in the Nook. So the Nook is basically a, a just a room kind of, um, and it's basically for REACH members and any student who wants to come by to talk to a REACH member. And we all have two hours every week that we dedicate to this activity. So I think the biggest difference is that we actually aren't professionals at all. Um, I don't think that... We could deliver professional services in any way because we're not trained. We don't have the education or the credentials to do so. I think it's it's more about listening to students and pointing them in the right directions to resources that they can use. Um, And we learn the importance of normalizing challenges. So I think it's really powerful to hear another student say, "Hey, I'm experiencing that too. You know, it's it's normal." Or, um, you know, that sounds like a really tough situation that you're in. And I, I I empathize with you for going through that. So I think this is really a space on campus for students to be heard. And for it's also private. So if these conversations happen, they stay in the room unless there's like a very serious concern. Um, and I think the fact that it is private actually helps because... A lot of students on campus, we're such a close-knit community that it's tough sometimes to share what you're truly thinking. Um, and that's that's what the Nook is for, to help with that.
1: You've said that uh, you are trained on active listening. and one of the thing that you've men- mentioned was em- empathizing with the person who's sharing the story is yeah. an essential part of active listening right yeah. but what if uh what if you are you cannot really empathize the partner how would you uh, suggest about going around this situation because like there might be cases where a person sharing some story and you cannot really relate to this story right
0: yeah uh, something
1: that is very different from your own experience mm-hmm. what what would be your suggestion in that situation?
2: That's a, a great question. And I think REACH members often ask this question every time that we get trained in this as well. You know, one of the things that's so powerful about empathy is when it's authentic and when it's genuine and when you can tell that the other person really means what they're saying. Because sometimes when you you say, oh, I, I know how that must feel, you know, it's like if the person doesn't know, sometimes you know, humans are not that great at hiding.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it can be obvious if you're not being truthful. But um, I think what the the trained professionals always encourage us to do when we're in that situation is you know recognize that you're you're never gonna know what other people's feelings are like always. Um, and I think admitting that is is probably uh, works in your advantage because it. Although you might not empathize specifically with the scenario that they're in, maybe you empathize with like the depth of feeling that they have or how tough it sounds. And sometimes I think I've even said this myself where I've said to a person experiencing something difficult, you know, I I don't have the right words or to share in the right way, what you must be feeling, because that's very unique to what you're going through. But from what I'm hearing, it sounds very tough. And and I can only imagine how that would feel like if I was in your like, situation, you know? So I think admitting it upfront is is mm-hmm. almost another way of being genuine about your feeling because you're still kind of empathizing with the fact that it sounds like it's difficult and it sounds like it should be hard. But I, yeah. I think that's a great question too, to think about, yeah.
1: And the last question about reach would be yeah. uh how how do you feel as a ambassador do you feel drained after all of these activities and after new hours because although on the one hand you are helping to other people on the other hand you are also spending a lot of energy uh, yeah. and not not only energy but also something inside you might yeah. might might like <laughs> it might be heard. So, so how, how how do you feel about it?
2: Um that's a, a really good a really good thing to bring up. We have been talking more about this as a reach group because I think sometimes during busy times of the semester, you know, we're we're also students as well. We're also human. Um and sometimes, you know, after the nook, it's it's tough and it's okay, I think, to acknowledge that it's tough. Uh, one of the things that we talk about is called compassion fatigue, which is it's the idea that people in helping roles often get more burnt out or tired more easily sometimes um, from being in this helping role all the time because your goal is to support others and to allow yourself almost to be used as like this outlet for emotions kind of. And that can be very tiring. Um, And if I'm feeling it after two hours in the nook, sometimes I can only imagine what trained psychologists and trained therapists go through because really like I'm in awe of them. I admire the work that they do. I really do. Um, and I think at that point, it really becomes about using knowledge from psychology and from wellness and from talking to other people to, to plan what you're going to do. You know, sometimes after I have a really tiring Nook session, um, I, I just know that I kind of want to be alone for a bit because I don't really feel like talking to somebody Um and I think it can be also as simple as creating a routine. I think for a lot of Nook members or Reach members, we usually have a routine that we do that's specific to each one of us. Like maybe it's cleaning up the Nook room and then going to your room and, like, I don't know, making yourself something like a cup of tea or something like that. And that's your transition point where you're like, okay, I'm transitioning out of my role in the Nook and as a Reach member. And now I'm going back to like being Raisa or like I'm going back to being me. Um, I think it takes a lot of asking yourself questions, but it's also important for your own sanity as a person who's helping other people, um, and thank you for asking that also. <laughs> yeah.
0: Let's move on to our rubric, uh, insider tips. So do you have any insights about New York University Abu Dhabi um, that is hard to Google? for students who want to apply to your university
2: right so i guess for uh the insider tip that i would give is to acknowledge that nyuad is much more than an academic institution so a lot of our professors i think almost all actually uh yes i think almost all the majority of professors are researchers as well so they all have labs and they all have uh, kind of their own profession and then teaching is just a part of that as well so uh, what one benefit of that is that it actually allows students to be exposed to such a variety of different types of seminars and different types of lectures. There's always guest lectures from different universities coming to NYUAD to present on um, specific, for example, biology topics. Or uh, maybe someone who worked in the UN wrote a book and it relates to something that a professor is working on here, so they're going to come give a talk on it. and the NYUAD Institute actually runs these different lectures and seminars. So really, when you come to NYUAD, you're not only connecting with the NYUAD community, but it's kind of like a platform for you to network with other intellectuals and other researchers and other activists and people who are doing wonderful things around the world because NYUAD is kind of a hub in that sense where um, it brings these kinds of people together so when you're here it's you're a part of something so much bigger that's happening Um, and to be able to have that opportunity you know you can learn from really a lot of different people people that I don't think you would have even think to have to have met that that would come here, and um, in that sense, I think it's important to remember that NYUAD has some has some tools and and things that uh, creates these interactions that you might not have known would would come your way, um, and you will almost surely encounter those things when you come here, and and knowing that is useful.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, I hope that students. Will use these tips while filling out their applications, <laughs> or generally awesome. learning about NYUAD, because mm-hmm. a lot of universities actually ask a question on why our university, and why UED also asks this question in Common App, yeah. why are why our campus. Um, yeah. So uh, uh, let's move to our next section, okay. which is discussion section, mm-hmm. um, and I, I would like to start with something that I've noticed so far Uh, there are a lot of literature YouTube channels and podcasts on self-development and finding balance in in your life I enjoy reading them listening to them however one thing I've noticed is that most of them are written by and for adults or uh, people who are working full-time and or have families there are few quality quality resources by and for our peers like college students and high school students However, they're very hard to find. So we are lucky to have uh, Raisa as a guest today because you've been experimenting with some, uh, self-development practices and, uh, you are our peer, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, let's start with our first question, which is, yeah. is there a huge difference between self-development practices for adults and people who are younger, uh, our peers generally?
2: Wow. That's a really interesting topic to begin the discussion section with. I think that I would agree that there is a difference between self-development practices for adults and people who are younger. But I also think that there are a lot of similarities. So I guess with the differences, um, so at different phases of your life, I think you're, I mean, you can also add to this in the end, by the way, if you like, don't think this is fully (laughs) uh, truthful, but so at different phases of your life, I think you're you're working with unique challenges. You know, maybe at a certain point, adults are thinking more about working life and being a parent or um, taking care of their parents, maybe taking care of their kids, their careers. Um, whereas I think maybe younger adults or even those just transitioning out of being a teenager might be focusing on things more like who am I and um, what kind of career do I want to pursue and um, how can I learn to be independent without having my parents around me maybe certain questions like that but I think whilst you are dealing with different challenges at at each stage in your life I think oftentimes they relate to the same questions um, that you ask yourself. Uh, so, you know, I think in almost all of those scenarios, you're asking yourself, what's important to me right now? Uh, how do I balance these different commitments that I'm working with at this moment? Uh,
0: so, to what extent it is it important to practice mindfulness for young people?
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's extremely important to be practicing mindfulness practices. I think. In this kind of digital age, where uh, increasingly even younger students or younger people are interacting with, with social media from such a young age, or even just the concept of having a phone is is present at an, at an age that I don't think a lot of people would have thought uh, would be there. It, I think it just means your focus is everywhere all the time. You know, you're eating dinner with your family, but you have your phone next to you, or you're even maybe eating dinner yourself and you're watching TV, or you're on your way to school and you have your headphones in. You know, a lot of the time, there's just different things that are competing for your attention. And I think learning how to be mindful is so important. It's so important because really, so mindfulness is developing an awareness of your surroundings, an awareness of um, what your body is feeling, an awareness of your thoughts and an emotion. But I think more than, than just an awareness of it, it's kind of like training a muscle in some sense. So training your focus almost. Um, how can I focus on this one thing despite so many different things going on around me is really a skill that takes so much time and, and consistency to practice. But really when you get it, it's, it's something that, that serves you well Um, And I think that starting off from a young age, so I actually started meditating probably when I was um, 15, I think. Um, And I've continued for, I I used to do it much more in high school. Actually, now now I still do before I I sleep, but that's because it's like just helps you rest a little bit. Um, And so I I think I've been doing it from a young age-ish, but I definitely could have started much earlier. Um, And... I remember this one summer when I continuously uh, practiced for a very long time, you really start to see the effects of your your focus. You know, if you're working on an assignment and you start thinking about some random thing that happened, you're able to be like, oh, okay, no, back to my assignment. And it's this like reconnection that you keep working on that really builds your ability to focus on one task at a time to um, not give in to distractions, to it also really helps you, I think, feel more present in the moment because a lot of times, a lot of people I speak to as well, you know, they really feel like they're they're not present, like they're not going through things on a day-to-day basis because your mind is everywhere and you're thinking about the future and you're thinking about the past and then people are texting you on your phone and it's like, was I even here, you know, in my environment today? So I think asking those questions, you know, being mindful is is something that really helps. And oftentimes, one tip that I sort of learned um, growing up when things get really too too overwhelming is called five, four, three, two, one method. So uh, you just If you're sitting somewhere, you look at five things that you can see around you and you label them off. It's like, oh, I see a chair. I see this. I see that. Then it's like uh, four things that you can hear. So it's like, oh, I can hear the air con. I can hear people talking outside. I can hear cars. I can hear this. Then It's like three things you can feel and like um, and then I think it's two things you can taste or smell i'm not sure which one but it, it goes like that and i think being able to focus your attention to where your body is in the moment is the key to just being more fulfilled in the present moment because you don't feel like you're living in the past or where you're living in the future yeah Do
0: you have more useful mindfulness practices besides that you would recommend for beers that you found useful in your experience
2: yeah um i think there's quite a few so there's that one um and i know that so there's also all of these different apps i know i just spoke about not using your phone too much but it is also ironically a place that has a lot of meditation apps like headspace and calm i think are the two most popular ones right now um and they actually have uh i think two minute meditations five minute meditations you know if you're in a room before a meeting and you have the time to be able to do that, that's really useful. Um, I think another way to implement mindfulness into your life is by actually decluttering your room, (laughs) decluttering your house and becoming aware of what's in your environment because oftentimes you know we always hear people say that your environment reflects your mind and I find this very true with my room especially. Uh, if I'm having a bad day or a tough week, you really can tell because my room is probably going to be a mess. And so, going through cleaning up your environment and cleaning up your physical space is actually also a way for you to feel more at ease and feel more present and controlled in your mind as well. Oh, um, also interacting with nature is really important as well, um, just for well-being in general. I think we we I don't think I'm I'm getting nearly enough time in nature as I'm supposed to be getting. <laughs> but that's also because we live in yeah <laughs> well, that's also because we live here but that's not a, an excuse actually. I i should definitely be spending more time outside. Um that also helps you to be mindful in a different way because it's focusing your attention on on different things and you know sounds of nature actually calm you down and interacting with nature calms you down too. Um, those are just off the top of my head different things um I think also just lastly, maybe learning to be alone with yourself and like learning to be okay with that um, is a different way of thinking about mindfulness. I think a lot of people really just can't sit still, you know, for five minutes in a room by themselves thinking about their thoughts or listening to their thoughts to some people that might even seem kind of scary or uh, useless in some sense. But I think there's a lot of power in learning how to to mindfully do that, because with mindfulness comes no judgment um you know no negative self-talk so letting things be how they are and i think that learning to be okay with that is so important and it's also something i'm still working on myself so um it's, everybody has their own journey towards getting there <laughs> yeah
0: Mental support from specialists is highly stigmatized around our region, uh, CIS, generally amongst most of the teenagers. And it seems that only people with serious mental illness should use their services. Mm-hmm. And uh, Katerina Lengold, the author of Simply Cosmos, Prosta Cosmos in Russian, one of the youngest head of uh, trustees in the space industry, yeah. claims that uh, when compared with the US, it is shameful to use services of professionals like back in russia it is like shameful to use services of a psychiatrist and living in the us now she says that uh paying enough attention for your mental health is as important as paying attention for your physical health Mm -hmm. what is your take on this
2: yeah I think talking about stigma around seeking professional help is always important. I think I would agree with uh, what Katerina said actually about paying attention to mental health as much as physical health, because um, it's often like a, uh, what do you call it, a comparison that people make where, you know, if, if someone broke their leg and they had to go to a doctor to fix it, it would be... Uh, seen as that's just what you do when you break your leg you know you go to the hospital you get it fixed but sometimes when someone's having a really tough time for an extended amount of time with their mind it's uh, it's interesting that that the same logic isn't applied to that you know
0: that is actually exact same example she provides in her book
2: oh really (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's interesting i um, i think i've heard that a lot as well just from other people who who have been curious about this Um, I think it's, it's kind of tough when you talk about stigma around counseling, because oftentimes, um, I think every culture has a different way of viewing what is an appropriate person to be seeking counseling. And that culture defines themselves, you know, like, oh, it's appropriate if you do this, or it's not appropriate if you are, I don't know, um, maybe, for example, like male, or it's not appropriate if maybe, for example, you aren't seriously like, experiencing something Um, and I guess the thing that I would be most concerned about is not most concerned or I guess I would recommend is really being able to view where those assumptions come from um, to I think it's also important as well that when we're talking about culture I know especially within my psychology classes a lot of the times we talk about the westernization of mental illness or how a lot of you know, mental illnesses are looked through uh, are looked at through a western lens or a western point of view or an american one and it's important to recognize actually that you know each culture has its own formation of mental illness and maybe the way that it presents in some countries won't be the same as another country but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be exploring it you know i think it's important that those people in those cultures as well have a voice in in being able to explore it in being able to conduct research as to like what what are these things you know what are the symptoms that maybe are unique to our culture how can we begin to ask these questions ourselves? because the last thing you want to do is to be encouraging someone else to look at mental health and then also be forcing a lens onto them that's not the right way to go about it right Um, and so I think it's important to do that I think that other thing I would say is maybe the normalization of it is very important because I think oftentimes when there is a stigma surrounding anything, it just doesn't seem, it seems that there's almost a way that something has been done for a set amount of time and then anything new kind of threatens that in some sense. Um, And so it's important to normalize maybe even the experience of emotions, you know, to normalize the depth of emotion, to normalize that everyone experiences the depth of emotion. Also to talk about the fact that I think a misconception around clinical psychologists is that you only go to a clinical psychologist, I think in in some communities, if you have suicidal thoughts, or if you are, you know, on the brink of heading somewhere really bad. And I think that's 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 true, but it's also not accurate because you can definitely go see a psychologist if you you just got out of a divorce and you've had like two months of like a serious depression. You can definitely go if, you know, you don't like your job and you just you haven't been feeling great or you feel nervous or you're having trouble sleeping. You know, you don't only go to the clinical psychologist when things are about to fall apart. And I think it's actually important to be encouraging others to to go before it reaches that stage um and lastly i think i would say probably um education and evidence so i think evidence in the sense that maybe allowing other people to to view the benefits that comes with allowing others to seek um support i think that's super important
1: uh i think that high school and college are times when you are making key life decisions Uh, that have some significant impact for your future life. Uh, So there is a concept called key life decisions. And most of the decisions fall to your school time or college time when you are deciding on your future college, when you're at school, or when you're deciding about your future career. Uh, For instance, if you choose to study hard as a uh, high schooler or as a middle schooler and do a lot of extracurriculars, you are, kind of increasing a chance of you getting into new and better environment, which in in traditional sense would be going into good university, uh, that will push you to grow even more. And although making choices seem to be an easy process, you just study hard, you do good things, and then you will achieve good things. But in reality, it's extremely difficult, right? So what's your take on this? What would you suggest for students or for our peers who are making really important decisions? Because although we joke a lot about uh, making choices, it's Mm. actually important that we make smart choices right now because in the long term, our life and our potential, long-term growth potential will depend on the choices that we are making right now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. very true i think this idea that (laughs) we all just pick the right things and then magic happens and we get to where we want to be is totally wrong um i think it's it's so tough you know i i'm having to make these choices now making choices first of all like uh i think maybe i'm in one of those key moments probably right now (laughs) as a senior (laughs)
0: Um,
2: (laughs) and let me tell you it's it doesn't feel great because i think <laughs> you know when you don't make a decision for a very long time when you're in a period of indecision for an extended amount of time it's very uncomfortable it it drains you it's always on your mind you're not able to focus on other things and also i'm not really maybe i should read more about this as well i'm not really sure what happens to your decision making abilities on the same thing as you like thinking about it for a longer time but i do know that that indecision is a very uncomfortable state to be in because i'm in it right now as well um i guess you know one of the things that i always was taught kind of by my dad and my brothers and my mom is uh so the most simplest the most simple thing you can do is to create a list and to have uh, a list of certain values or a list of certain things that are important to you and then you have your different options and uh you just go through each one of those things and you rank it on a scale of like one to five um and at the end you it's its the most uh simple thing to try to do is to quantify how you feel about certain decisions and i think it's, it's an attempt to take control over something that feels very subjective. Um, I don't suggest going fully by the numbers uh, that add up at the end, but it might be useful as a starting point to be to help you think, well, this is what I think about this decision, and this is what I think about the other one. But um, I also think it's important to, when you are making these big decisions to, okay, on a smaller scale, To make them at the right time of um, you know the day if if you are making a really big decision like about which college to go to oftentimes maybe the morning or right after you wake up if that's when you feel most energized is when you have the most amount of mental energy it's when you can really dedicate and focus time to thinking rationally about these different things and so if it takes an hour every morning you know, stick to that consistently, like, I'm going to do this, uh, this time is specifically allocated for me to think about that. Um, I think also breaking down your decision into smaller steps, like always, always, when you have a really big challenge, breaking it down into smaller questions or smaller challenges to address is, is useful, because oftentimes behind the question of what do I want to do for a career? There's a million other questions beneath that. Like, what kind of person do I want to be? How many hours do I want to work every week? What country do I want to live in? What, where am I eligible to work in with my passport? Um, And I think it's useful, (laughs) yeah, sorry. Um, Definitely useful to to know which questions are under the big question, because there's so many of them um, and that they build up the big decision that you make at the end, right? Um, and then lastly, I think it's, it's really to think about the kind of person you want to be later on. Um, I know that there's a lot of pressure on decisions. Um, so much pressure on like choices and making the right choice. Recognize that sometimes maybe you will make the wrong choice. That's okay. Like, uh, people make the wrong choices. It's just, it would have it. It's the way of, of humans. You Sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong. Um, but know that if you do make the wrong decision, that you you will work with the information that you have at that point in time to get yourself back on track. Um, and to when I say think about the person you want to be, when you are thinking about the college you want to go to or the career you want to have, to really visualize yourself in that role um, to see if it fits with the values of who you want to be as a person, um, you know, asking yourself, how would, uh, this is something I heard from somewhere. I don't remember where, but how would the person I'd like to be, you know, make the decisions and do the things that I'm about to do It's something that can really help you move forward towards your, your ideal self. And, um, I think it's useful to keep in mind, but but know that that as you go along, you know, choices will always be there. You're always making some kind of choice. Everybody's always either making a choice, they just made a choice, or they're like coming up to make a choice very soon. So we're all in the process of it. Yeah,
1: your your tips are actually very very useful. Um, it's so interesting to 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 see how our peers are so aware and conscious about the whole process of making choice <laughs> <laughs> yeah so what kind of resources books or channels youtube channels you would recommend uh, for the people who are interested in in learning more about personal development mental health and mindfulness practices
2: yeah would you recommend it um- yeah? I I think the first thing to highlight would be that it it doesn't have to be a really big or heavy time intensive task. Um, You can learn about these things bit by bit from I'm sure almost every news outlet on the Internet has a section that's dedicated to these kinds of things. There are almost always scientific journals out there that study sleep, that study positive feelings. There's also so many books out there that are specifically written for the average person like me who just doesn't have, I'm sure I wouldn't be able to jump straight into a scientific article and be like, let me learn about sleep from here. Maybe that's not the most ideal thing for me to be doing. Um, But there's, uh, so I first learned about all of this by reading this book called Thrive by Arianna Huffington, and that was the first kind of book that I read that sparked my interest into learning so much more. One of the first, um, and so I think it's it's important to to Google the questions that you have maybe as well. I think honestly that's something that that really helped me in high school was. Because I mentioned before I was so uh, kind of scared about vocalizing my feelings to other people, I would literally just Google exactly what I was feeling. I would, you know, say <laughs> things, what to do when you're on a stress day or um, how can I have a difficult conversation with my parents about this or something like that. And by, <laughs> it sounds maybe a little crazy, but by, by reading through those things, I And I would do this as young as, I think, like 13 or like 12 years old. And by reading these different things, you really, you know, people write blogs that are dedicated to this stuff. People film YouTube videos about having difficult conversations and how to sleep well at night and what to do if you were just rejected by someone and now you don't know how to process that feeling. Like, you know, there's so much out there. And, but of course, like while I'm recommending this also like, acknowledge that there's so much misinformation on the internet, so only use credible sources. Um, and if you're going to use scientific articles and things like that, they should be peer-reviewed. They should be in journals. Um, but I think going to to the most well-known kinds of media stations and looking at the most talked about or spoken about books um, is, is a good starting point and probably a credible starting point as well. Um, Yes, yeah, so so really use the internet. Bookstores as well. Bookstores almost always have a section dedicated to this. Read the news. I'm sure that I think BBC, the New York Times, things like that, they are always publishing articles on uh, burnout and sleep. And it's kind of like a hot topic now. So what about you guys? Do you guys read or um, ha- have you recently heard anything interesting about these things online?
1: So I, I watched a YouTube channel by Matt Davella. I don't know whether you know him. Ah, he oh, talks wow. about minimalist, <laughs> his videos and his content in general. And also talking about books I've read, uh, I've read uh, a book by Peter Hollins about how to follow up with projects that we initiate. Because starting something is much easier than finishing it, right? So I was wondering, uh about like how i can be better at finishing and i think this book wasn't as great as i expected it to be because he shared basically cliche uh tips like oh just do everything as soon as possible plan out everything so it it wasn't really dedicated towards how to finish things it was i would say it was just a general motivational book about how to be productive But it wasn't about how to finish things, per se.
0: Let's talk about your dreams and your fears in our rubric. Your biggest dream and your biggest fear.
2: Okay, what a nice thing to think about. (laughs) I don't think a lot of people (laughs) answer this question very often. Um, I guess my, my... Okay. My biggest dreams would probably be to I think I would want to use my the platform that I have uh, what whenever I get a platform, or like even just being a student at university, um, kind of like what Nipeez and I were talking about the privilege of having these resources around us. I would really want to to use them well for the benefit of other people. Um, I think maybe looking back at the community that I grew up in, in South Africa, it's it almost seems like the the odds were very much in my favor that I was able to get this opportunity. And oftentimes, I look back at family members or friends or people who I grew up with, or even just other people in general, who who might not have had the same type of exposure to these things, but who I I know that if they were in my position, they would probably be doing the same things or even better things that I'm doing right now. Um, And so I think it's really, it's always something that I hold important to me is to make sure that I'm keeping in mind other people and using this for the betterment of someone else's experiences. And I think that's almost a way of like uh, giving back or keeping this gratitude going throughout my entire life, um, I think it would also be to um, invest, I think, in other people that I love to to really love them. And I think this sounds maybe a little bit cliche or cheesy, but really it is true because I think at this stage in my life, I feel like a lot of things are about me. You know, what kind of career do I want to have? What kind of person do I want to be? And sometimes I often forget that, you know, I read somewhere that we forget that whilst We're we're growing up our parents are also growing older at the same time and you know I I think it's really important to me that I keep that in mind that I'm I'm loving those around me that I want to love while I'm going through this because I mean at the end of the day anything could happen right and um it's so important to forget that that we're not invincible in the universe Um, anything can happen any day and that's very important to me and I guess lastly would be to um, for a dream would be to be able to like be a source of security and warmth and comfort to to those people around me that I care about and um, to be able to show them that you know that I do love them unconditionally um, that's important to me so I guess in terms of fears, um, after that, it would it would relate back to my dreams. I'm so scared of losing people that I love to like the terrible world that is our world. That scares me so much. It's so unpredictable and it worries me almost. You know, sometimes when I read the news, um, that's my biggest fear. And then I also hate the fact that I can't control. Um, you know, I, the people, this is so much about the people I love, but <laughs> um, and this includes like friends, family, you know, uh, mentors that I have, um, people who have really been there for me, people I admire, includes all of them, not just like actual uh, love kind of relationships. But um, yeah, I think not being able to control their exposure to, to pain and loss. I think watching someone you love go through something tough is, so challenging and I hate that I can't control that, you know, um, I almost wish I could. Um, and then my biggest fear also is that I'm, I'm not doing enough. <laughs> I know it's like, it's weird, but that maybe I'm not using what I have the right way that maybe I'm not doing enough for my friends or my family, you know, am I really being the best daughter that I can be, you know? Um, I think it's, I would hate to, to reach a point in my life or the end of my life where I realized that, you know, I actually didn't do what I could have done. And now it's, it's too late. Um, And so I think it's really actually pretty cool that you guys are asking these questions because sometimes people only answer these questions when they're much older and it's useful to be able to reflect on that now, but um, are these similar to the fears that you guys have or? (laughs)
0: yeah it is definitely very very similar you have you have such an altruistic dreams that's cool that's really cool thank you
2: so much
0: thank you Raisa, thank you so much for joining today to record our podcast uh we truly enjoyed talking with you it was really really interesting we wish you all the best
2: oh, thank you.
0: yeah thank you Raisa. <laughs> it was a real pleasure to talk with you although we study in the
1: same uni I think yeah. it was a really, really nice conversation that we
0: had. I'm so grateful for for knowing you, Nukbis. because of you I can like talk with people like Reisa and it's so it's so cool. Yeah.
2: You guys that's Thank you, amazing. That's amazing for you to say that. <laughs> I, I should be also thanking you for, for even taking the time to to do this for um high school students. I think it's It's wonderful. And it's almost like I wish I could have listened to something like this when I was at that age. Um, It's so cool that you guys are taking time out to do this. So if I could ever be of any more help in any way as well, I would love to. Thank you for giving me the opportunity as well to share these things with you and for asking me these questions. Um, Yeah, thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can listen to our podcast series on any platform that is convenient for you. Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Your comments and feedback are very important for us. Follow us on Instagram. Um, our page is isbasay.kz. Yes, sir. Do <laughs> new